The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of New York Presbyterian Hospital or Columbia University Irving Medical Center. You're listening to Taking It to Heart with the Columbia Valve Team, a podcast where we discuss the advancements and treatments for patients with structural heart and valve disease. Welcome again, everybody. We're going to continue on with our TVT wrap-up. We're here with our gurus, Luigi Pirelli and Gilbert Tang, who attended uh, all of TVT and uh, went into every single session on list. Um, so they're well-informed. And I think we're going to start with a couple of new devices on the aortic side. So we're going to talk about shortcut. Um, so Luigi, tell us about shortcut and, and uh, you know what the rationale for shortcut is. Yeah, shortcut is uh, is a new device uh, that is uh, uh, planned to uh, split uh, the leaflets of a bioprosthetic valve um, in order to allow coronary perfusion and avoid uh, sinus sequestration during a, a valve in valve uh, procedure. It's uh, a, a device that uh, resembles uh, the same idea that the basilica procedure is meant to be, uh, so the splitting of uh, the leaflet in, in front of the, the coronary ostea, uh, again, for redo uh, TAVR or valve in valve procedures, uh, but apparently makes it uh, much more easy, uh, reproducible, and faster. So it's, um, I'm, I, I've seen just a few so far, but I'm curious to see more and more. And I think uh, the learning curve, uh, even for uh, uh, doing this uh, shortcut, is much shorter than doing the basilica. So I'm very excited on uh, on putting my hands on it. Yeah, Gilbert, you know you've done basilica. What do you what do you think about a better way to do this? Are you is there a need? Is there not a need? Well, I think the issue of basilica right now, even though it's reproducible in expert hands, it's you know still. Uh, still pretty cumbersome to perform, I think, especially to do double. Uh, and also, remember, you would also need to, uh, all these catheters and wires are not technically FDA approved for this purpose. So I think that's been a bit of challenging in terms of proctoring training to achieve broad adoption. So if you have a device that actually can serve the same purpose or maybe even better, and the ease of use is better, uh, than what we have right now at our disposal. I think that's definitely a welcoming thing. And remember, you know, these kind of lethal modification techniques are not just to avoid coronary obstruction. They actually some physiologic benefit in terms of potentially coronary flow or sinus flow to reduce the risk of halt. And there's been some early data that suggests that. So I agree that especially working on the right coronary, uh, which is difficult without biplane, I would say if you have a mechanical device that you can see on echo and floral and be able to do that uh, with a reasonable procedural time, I think that is a win for the patient. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're exactly right. I think this is gonna be an important kind of physiologic thing that we do, um, especially for a thrombosis reason. Um, and so, especially in these valve and valves where the thrombosis rates are a problem. Um, you know, shortcut is a, is a, is a very elegant device, but, but let's, let's look at it in detail here. You know, uh, you can do it on multiple valves and multiple valve frames, but you're not removing leaflets. Now, tell me, what do you think about just making a split as opposed to the kind of V-shaped opening that you get with, with an electrocautery burn? It, it, does that matter? I mean, 
do we know enough to to make that difference? Do you think it's going to matter? I, I think once once you split the leaflet and you implant the valve, uh, I think that gap, that V-shaped gap that you create, will become larger in front of the coronary ostia just because the the tablet that you implant instead of the the surgical prosthesis will uh, move uh, uh, the halves of uh, the leaflets away uh, from the center. Um, so it's it's just a two different mechanism mechanisms of uh, of splitting the leaflet. One is with electrocautery, and the second, the shortcut is uh, uh, with mechanical forces. But I think that the principle is absolutely the same. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't I didn't really think about that, but I think well, you're I think you're right. Forty two right um, now, right? I mean, and, and Gilbert, you know, what kind of price entrance. point would you put so, on and, and, you know, some kind of device like this? I mean, protection what is would you pay for an easier basilica? I mean, I think that what you're bouncing against is left main standing, right? Extremely snorkel standing. How much does that cost? Which I think that's going to be how people will design chimney snorkel standings a bit more reproducible because most tower operators can do that, where this still require learning curve. I think the challenge is going to be in terms of these leaflet modification is a small percentage of patients have eccentric coronaries that are close to the commissures. So I think a mechanical solution may be better uh, to at least you know tackle the split right in front of that uh, rather than just in the middle uh, of, the scout, uh, of, the, of the sinus and of the leaflet, which obviously give you the best spray, but may not be at the right location uh, in terms of avoiding coronary obstruction. Now, now think about this. There is a, a new device company also, Excision Medical, and they actually remove the leaflets. And, you know, does this, does something like, you know, shortcut become totally irrelevant when you have an actual excision device? Because to me, an excision device is conceptually far, far, far superior to anything than Basilica or shortcut off. Yeah, I think you have to decide. Sorry, go ahead, uh, Luigi. No, please, uh, Gilbert. Please. No, I was going to say that I think it depends on how you're going to manage the QAI and what you're going to do with the leaflet. Are you going to be able to remove it entirely or there's a risk of embolic, uh, you know, complication, right? Because, you know, some of these, as you know, in the operating room, when you remove this disease or degenerate leaflet, especially even native leaflets, there can be calcium, raw calcium exposed uh, that can embolize. So I think the question is how reproducible it is and whether you have a solution to treat the QAR to place a second uh, valve immediately you know obviously i think most of the time you really mostly worry about the left main but there are circumstances there you need to also worry about the right coronary as well i, I agree with you gilbert unless you have a way to implant the valve uh, actually park the, the the new tower in the ascending aorta very close to the root and uh, just be ready to implant it right away once the leaflet comes off i think it's uh, it will be a very difficult uh, uh, procedure to to perform the complete excision of uh, of uh, one or more leaflets because you have uh, uh, so much acute AI that I don't think it will be uh, anyway tolerable. Oh, you guys are agreeing too much. You're too nice on these. I would argue against both of you. So first of all, I would say that we can manage acute AI, and second, I think if you have two procedural access uh, sites. I think if you have the excision in one site and you have your valve ready in the other uh, and you perform your excision quickly and then you just come down with the valve and deploy it, I think you'll, you can do that potentially very safely. Obviously, it becomes an issue if you're trying to do doubles. And 
doubles may or may not work like that, obviously. Yeah, let's see. Maybe you, you put a vent somehow in the LV. There might be another. Yeah, I mean. I in the meantime. You go transeptal and vent and do something like that. But, right. but I think this is, it's a great field. It's a great, you know, you know, as you see the need for this stuff occurring, I conceptually to me, an, an excision is, is really, um, is really interesting. And, and so I'm really interested to see how excision medical comes forward. Um, but in the interim, I think these, these, you know, baby steps that we take with Basilica and shortcut will be, will be good for the field. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, we get to use these before we retire. We all retire. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, wonderful. All right, guys. And before we uh, we finish up on the aortic side, I'm going to talk about something that was super interesting, and this is using valve lithotripsy before TAVR in an early human experience. So, just to describe what's being uh, proposed here is a patient who needs TAVR an annulus of 588, LVOT calcium, and annular calcium that's pretty severe, calcium score of 5,000. Um, and obviously the TAVR disaster that they're referring to is an annular rupture. Can you mitigate that by doing IVL or intravalvular lithotripsy? Um, so the concept is based on um, the wild success of shockwave in the groin and in the coronaries kind of distributing some of the stresses of the calcium by ultrasound, making it more pliable, and potentially reducing the risk of annular rupture, making the leaflets more pliable, and making expansion better. And so they show a couple of cases of this. Again, extreme cases with extreme calcium where balloon expandable valves were pre-treated with um, 12 millimeter uh, shockwave balloons uh, without rapid pacing, and then these valves were deployed without without issue with good hemodynamics. Um, as far as I can tell here, I don't believe that cerebral embolic protection was performed. Um, so, guys, crazy hype or not hype? Tell me, what what do you think about this? To me, it sounds uh, uh, extreme and a uh, little bit crazy. Uh, first of all, I would argue that uh, uh, you will need 100% cerebral embolic protection for these cases if you do lithotripsy, um, with no doubt. Uh, second, I would say yes, the in, in these extreme cases of uh, severe uh, uh, calcification of the valve, uh, the balloon expandable valve carries uh, risks of uh, rupture. Uh, but my argument would be, why don't you use a self-expandable with a more controlled uh, uh, release? Um, and uh, the, the predilation balloon valvuloplasty will, uh, will uh, prepare uh, the calcific valve to be, um, to be treated in the right way that is with, uh, with the valve. I, I, I really don't believe it. I don't think how uh, this uh, lithotripsy could work on the, on the aortic position without causing uh, massive emboli of uh, of calcium and uh, uh, even without without actually adding too much to the to the plate. My, that's my personal opinion. Yeah, although I think if you look at the uh, you know I don't know about coronary, but the the uh, vascular side, endovascular side, there haven't been any you know shower emboli to the groin or or distal 
uh, you know, peripheral uh, vasculature, you know, from the shockwave. I think, I think, I think the, you know, from my understanding, it's ultrasound, you know, break up the calcium, but they're still remaining in the in the media and and uh, and not exposed with plaque, like a plaque rupture situation. What I'm more interested, in, actually, we just did a case recently that you know maybe that this technology would allow better expansion of the of the balloon expandable or self-expanding valve and may be able to confer better durability so for example you know we know that sometimes often we pre-dilate let's say a, a, a bicuspid valve or heavily calcified valve and when you deploy the valve it just does not fully expand and and joelle's uh, paper from circulation showed that a percentage of patients do not have a perfectly expanded uh fully expanded valve so I wonder if you know this kind of technology may facilitate that. You know, in really dense calcium, patients not a surgical candidate. Obviously, you can't remove the calcium like we do in the operating room. Maybe if you soften it up, break it down, maybe the valve can expand better, and maybe you can avoid uh, uh, having halt or or may have better uh, durability. I think it'll be very interesting to so, to do my, perhaps even a randomized trial to to look at that. So Gilbert, you would use a little tripsy uh, pre tabular implantation instead of a post-dilation of a self-expandable valve? Yeah, or balloon expandable. Uh, I think uh, either or. I think I think it's going to be uh, something that, you know, what we think about, you low risk, young patient, let's say bicuspid, uh, patient that's not one surgery, you know, there's a rough fade, it's a calcified, uh, non-cus, you worry about under-expansion of the frame, and, and maybe then you have early valve degeneration, maybe this technology may work. I mean, obviously, we'll need to see, see more data uh, both clinical and preclinical data to, to to demonstrate that, but it's it's not inconceivable. And I think there'll be another interesting application will be uh, for for MAC, which obviously will require a much bigger balloon, but it might not be a, a bad idea to to think about you know what will happen in the future. In that case, I, I would be really interested in see how much uh, do the gradients improve? Do the gradients improve after this lithotripsy? Uh, and if it can be actually a more definitive uh, uh, procedure instead of being uh, propedeotic to a tavern implantation. So if you tell me that the gradients uh, really decrease and the valve looks like it's uh, moving much better uh, without recoiling, uh, then I would buy it. Otherwise, I don't think it's, it's, um, it's going to be useful. I mean, you know, part of it is you're not going to be able to necessarily get that information because this is done right before TAVR. So you could see what the native, you know, BAV result is, but that may or may not translate to the TAVR result. Um, but but look, I think, you know, one of the things that I think that Gilbert, you said was was bicuspids, right? And maybe this helps facilitate those type ones opening up much better, you know, or very, very heavy calcium. I, I think it's, going to be a specialty, you know, device. It's like getting cookies at Levon, right? It's it's an expensive cookie and um, it's hard to see this being applied to everybody. Um, but, you know, maybe this is something that, that you use for these special cases. Um, you know, it will be expensive for sure, right? I'm sure that that's the, the ultimate problem. And so if you need to post dilate and you've already opened a shockwave, you know, maybe <laughs> You're going to be less reluctant to do all of this stuff, but you know, let's see. I guess, right? We'll see. All right, another way to make money. So, shockwave balloons for the trike aortic valve. Um, we're going to end this session here, and uh, stay tuned for our mitral wrap. -up. 
Thanks very much. Thank you.